Good morning, church. Good to be with you, whether you're in the room or online. So good to just be here this morning. Happy Mother's Day again. You probably heard that a couple of times already, but happy Mother's Day. I just want to acknowledge those of you that are here that push through. Uh, maybe your uh, you know, Mother's Day is hard for you for whatever reason, many reasons for that. I know Father's Day for me was tough for many years. So I just want to acknowledge you. If you push through, man, I celebrate you today. Like, thanks for just pressing through. And, and I just pray that the Word of God blesses you today. Uh, this Word is for everybody. And, uh, and so, yeah, I just want to acknowledge that. And uh, we celebrate with you. We'd love to know your journey more. If you give us a chance, we'd love to pray with you uh, as you push through and uh, God meets you in that place. So thank you again. Uh, if you're joining us online too, just uh, thank you so much for pressing through all the stuff that's maybe happening in your living room right now and you lean in uh, and listen to this message, praise God. We've been talking about Jonah because we're in the book of Jonah and uh, so we're right now looking at this, for God so loved Nineveh. If you didn't catch it, there's a phrase there underneath, uh, Jonah, because we were just looking at this like hopefully giving us a part or, uh, of the puzzle as we look at this you heard earlier the, the verse shared that we all love and know, for God so loved the world, right? Speaking to us, where we are right now, uh, I believe as we look at Nineveh, there's a perspective shift, maybe something we can learn as we look at Nineveh and the story of Jonah by just thinking through that concept, for God so loved Nineveh. Nineveh, uh, it, this, just this idea, could be something we we skip over because Jonah really was called similarly the way Jesus was called, uh, and so the parallels are real and great. So just to catch us up, uh, God so loved Nineveh that he sent Jonah, right? We read that he was reluctant, a prophet, someone who heard from God, not someone, you know, just some some dude, but here's a prophet, someone who hears from God, knows his voice, knows his presence, and he goes and runs the other way as God gives him the word to go to Nineveh. Then we hear that he's thrown overboard in a storm and then swallowed by a fish, right? Pretty crazy story. And then he's in the belly of the fish. Last week we got to be eavesdropping in on a conversation that he had with God. In this response or reaction, you could say, to being in hard times. Anybody been through hard times? You hear that prayer and you go, wow, hopefully, uh, maybe that was a, was a good, good word for us all. And we know now that prayer is not a passive response, right? It's a powerful answer. As we listen to Jonah pray, we get that. Man, because why? His prayer was answered and he was vomited out. Maybe someone prayed this morning, you got that prayer answered. I don't know about your breakfast. Uh, if you prayed for it. But he was vomited out, got the answer to prayer he needed, he ended up on a beach, right? Pretty powerful stuff. So be careful what you pray. Uh, here we are, the uh, beginning chapter three. If you are uh, got your Bibles with you, somebody get excited, tell me. Yeah, you got your Bibles, awesome. Let's open them up. Let's get excited to see God's Word, hear from it. If you got your device with you at your home slipping through, I want to hear that swipe. I want to hear it, all right? Turn the pages. Let's hear the swiping going on. Chapter 3 of Jonah, verse 1, it goes like this. You guys are with me, so let's go together. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. 
So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. In contrast of chapter 1, right? He didn't go last time. He ran the other way. This time he gets up and he went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breadth. Okay, it means it takes three days to walk from uh, in its greatest length. It was three days walk. Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself in sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast nor uh, herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? Now, this is part of the pro proclamation. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Verse 10, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented. Pretty powerful stuff. So I entitled this morning's message, Turn, because I asked the question to myself as I looked at this, what moved God? Man's response and obedience, did it move him? We learn something about God here, that he did not set his sights on consequences. And I say that because here comes another, you guys are sick of my parent analogies, but it just kind of fits, right? So here we go. Bear with me if you hate these. But I've had these conversations with many parents, like, okay, we're doing this discipline thing again. They know what they're supposed to be doing, and I'm here again. And so I've got my sights set on consequences. And so you say, you lay down the law. You say, okay, if you step outside of this, right, there's going to be consequences. Now here's the rules. You, you follow this, please. And then there's the consequences. And as parents, there's the struggle, right? I said what I'm going to do, and now they keep going back to it. Am I going to follow through on this? Am I going to actually be able to do this? And so I've had these conversations with parents like, this is hard. Right? And then I have to have that conversation with some parents like, did you think it would be easy? It's hard stuff. Parenting's no joke. Amen. Right? Come on, man. I'm preaching to myself right here, just like coaching myself. I'm going to get home in an hour. Like, what are we going to do? This is real, man. This is real. Well, this is this perspective that God offers us in this picture of here's Father God looking down. He said, like, you better move. We know God's legit. We know he's going to follow through on what he says. And he doesn't, though, have his eyes set on the consequence. God has his eyes set on his kids, the ones he loves. See, sometimes we can get our eyes set on the consequence, but here God shows us the way. As Father God, he sets his eyes, I believe, on the people he loves. And so as they respond, he's able to withhold the judgment. 
And we see God following through and his mercy and grace being allowed to pour out because they responded. And he relented. God didn't change his mind. He doesn't need to. He just withholds his judgment. Because why? They turned. It's a powerful moment. And it would be easy for us to miss and maybe glide over some of the aspects of this for many reasons. But one would be just because, again, like we hear this message, it's easy for us to dismiss it and say it's just a story. You know, the, the whale, it's a whale of a tail. It's a big fish. Like, how can we believe this? What, what is Nineveh anyway, right? It's a big city. Big whoop, right? But it is actually a big city, and it is a big deal. And so I don't want it to escape us. Nineveh was and still is visible in many places in northern Iraq. And some of the, the gates of this city were so massive that withheld, they have held up hundreds of wars and battles. They didn't fall and, and still stand today, though we're watching many of them be destroyed by ISIS and other people that are, that are in that region right now. And this is, this is a testimony to me of, of just the, the prowess, the, the power of the city. As you look on and read this story, uh, it had to take an intentional, we're going to take this down for them to get rid of these walls. That's how massive they are. All this time's gone by, all these wars, all these bombings, all these things that have gone on, and these gates of the city are still standing. It's incredible. It's incredible. And so this is a massive city. It takes three days to walk across, right? Hundreds of thousands of people live in this city. There's no high-risers, right? So think about this, this massive city of people. And it says those people believed. Okay, this big, big city. They were... Hundreds and thousands of people. Before we get down kind of the, the road of what Jonah did and what he laid down there, I can't pass up that Jonah enters into this city with still an attitude that those people, those people or these people are different from him. Have you ever been those people, you know what I'm talking about, the people that are, you know, mocked, pointed at, talked about, shamed, avoided? You ever been that person? These are the Ninevites. I remember, and I won't ever forget the time when I walked on the airplane with my six boys on our way to New Zealand. Imagine these flights are not short flights. So as we walked on, you know, we've got bags and luggage and children. We're kind of basically wearing children, right? So like, where else do you put them? And we're walking down these aisles with people on the plane. And as we're walking on, you can watch people's faces. And you know, like one or two or three kids, and already you're annoyed. Right? They're annoyed. Like, how dare you bring children on this flight? I thought I was going to sleep, right? And then, then a fourth one. And then a fifth one. They're like, <laughs> well, five kids, right? Then, and then there's a sixth one. Right, right. And nowadays, you know, like, there's eight of them. Like, they realize, oh, you're wearing three of them? That's, okay. I watched us walking past this one guy, you know, and I listened to him talking. His jaw dropped on the ground, you know, and he's like talking. To, uh, uh, sorry, sorry, I was distracted there. Uh, <laughs> you wouldn't believe these people. 
It's like every time we go to the grocery store together. Those people. This is the, this is the people we're talking about. They were talked about. They were avoided. This is a place any Jew would have avoided uh, by any means possible. So a message that's coming through Jonah, a message that uh, he didn't want to bring to a people he didn't want to go to, right? You ever had to do something you didn't want to do? Here's Jonah doing something he really didn't want to do to a people he wanted to avoid. And it, it gives me this new, or it gives me a perspective that I, I need to be refreshed in. And this story highlights it perfectly is here comes Jonah into the city with an idea, with, uh, with all of these cultural norms and these people looking at him. This city was feared, revered, right? They're, nobody wants to go there. They're avoided because of the, the wrath. Even they point that out in their repentance. Like we, uh, we are unclean people. We are uh, angry. We're uh, evil people, right? So they know it. Everybody else knows it and they're avoiding. This is what Jonah walks into. And it points to the greatest miracle of this whole story is that in a day's walk into the, almost the middle of the city, Jonah can walk in and share this message and not be killed, right? Flogged, beaten. I mean, how did he even get to that part of the city is a miracle in itself. I was just with my son in New York City this last, uh, last two days and we were serving the homeless and here's, here's this picture, you know, him and I, and I'm talking to one guy, we've got our masks on, we're trying to like connect and trying to serve them and, and, and in their place and I'm giving them this message and this thought comes to my mind like, how in the world did the message that Jonah had to get through, get through in this kind of environment, in the city? I mean, what did he do? Like hover in space and like call out some megaphone and the whole city like heard this, hey, return and repent? No. Right? What happened was here in the middle of the city, a person who shouldn't have been there is standing there with a message he shouldn't have been bringing. It sounds like condemnation. You ever go to somebody who, you, who knows you condemned them, who knows you look down on them and you stand in front of them and start criticizing the way they live? How's that going to go? Right? You ever go to Thanksgiving with a chip on your shoulder and the person shows up that you always talk about and they walk in the room and you, what, what's the first thing come to mind? I should just tell, tell them right now, right in public, right? We should get more people. Let's do it in the middle of the town. I'll call them out for what they do wrong. How's that going to go? But here's the strategy. How'd they come up with that strategy anyway? You think they sat down on like a felt board and were like, hey, here's what you're going to do, Jonah. It's not a great strategy to reach a whole city. But nonetheless, this is what God told Jonah to do. So in obedience, he just goes one day walk into the city and he brings this. And here's essentially what I see as the greatest miracle is the message of repentance, the message, the good news for them, which is if you turn around, God's wrath is not gonna be poured out. And the message goes out by just sharing it, this one message at that point in the city, and it goes out to everyone in the city. How? Because one person heard the message and it changed their life. And one person told one person who told one person until the king heard the message. Because why? Changed lives, changed lives. Come on. Hundreds of thousands of people's lives were changed because one person said yes to Jesus 
to God saying, hey, go, and they went, and a whole city, hundreds of thousands of people, 500 plus thousands of people live in Lancaster County, right? Almost the same size as Nineveh at that time. Come on, somebody's getting a picture of what's going to happen at work on Monday morning. Come on, thank you, Jesus. You're going to open up your mouth. God said, go, and you start sharing the message of God, and you start saying to them, hey, how about you try Jesus? What happens if they believe that message? And Lancaster County gets radically shifted in one night. Anybody was saying he can't do that? You can't now because I just read it. It happens. This is the greatest move of God that we have on record in the Word of God showing us that it is possible for you to go with the message. See, next time you see that person standing in the middle of the city sharing a message you wish they didn't, just be careful because that person is now those people. Now you are Jonah talking about the Ninevites. Was God working in the Ninevites and Jonah just like he's working in us and everyone else? Those people, those Ninevites, they're us. In the same way, Jonah in this story can be us. Come on, God's after your heart and my heart Everybody's hot, right? So those people are those people. And the message of God, here's the miracle, right? His message cut through every cultural norm. His message cut through all the cynicism. The message of the gospel cut through that hurt that Jonah was carrying because he didn't want to bring the message. That message, miracle here, is that it cut through that person who wanted to kill Jonah because he was in the wrong place. That message cut through Jonah being in the wrong place because someone had a bad morning. Come on. There were many opportunities for this to be the wrong message and somebody to get real upset and for somebody to take him out and for that message to be cut off. But God said go. And so what happened? The whole city was changed. Come on, somebody get excited. You're excited about what can happen in Mannheim tomorrow, right? What happened? They believed. It's a sit-up. God sit it up. They listened the same way Jonah listened, and they believed. Here's the other miracle, right? Jonah, what happened in chapter 3? is radically different to what happened in chapter 1. We see a different Jonah. What happened? He believed. See, I'm convinced that life is choices. Choices depend on beliefs. So it matters today what you believe. What do you believe? Life is choices. And we see these people or those people in an instant, believing in this message and believing that God sent this message all the way to a king saying, oh my goodness, we are wrong. Everything we were doing, all this stuff, we we are wrong in what we were doing. We should not be doing this stuff. Now that they believe, right, the conviction sits in and there's a truth that they have to align with and the king is saying, I'm sorry, God. Not just that, not just I recognize I'm wrong, but everybody needs to stop what they're doing. Don't don't eat. Don't eat. Not animal, not person, just stop. Why? Because he's saying we need to fast 
We need to do something different. It's not just okay to say sorry. We need to do something different with our life. We need our lives to change because God's calling us not just to, in our head and our heart, say, hey, hey, we recognize we're wrong. No, God's calling for my life to be different. And this king recognizes it and says, hey, everybody, stop. He gets it. Why? Because Jonah said yes. What can God do with your yes today? I believe he can not just turn your heart and your life around, but many. In Jonah, we see this in chapter 3, some incredible shifts happening. But it started in their hearts And I imagine, I'm picturing all these people hearing this message, that it might not have been the first time they thought, hey, maybe this is the wrong way to go about it. Maybe there were some warning signs. I remember my first car, it was a Ford, fixer repair daily. Um, Now that's my Ford, okay, if you have a Ford, it's probably amazing. But my Ford was a fixer repair daily Ford, and uh, I... Used it to get to the cow shed. I had um, lots of stuff on me after working with milking the cows and stuff. I'd throw it in the back. I didn't really care because this was uh, my first car, and it was, it was worthy of that. It was just great. It was, it was awesome. My mom hated that. I would do that, and, and she said, you know, you're going to abuse that car, and, and it's not going to take care of you. And again, mothers are always right. So I was driving, <laughs> driving down the road, and I, I would see these lights come on, on the dashboard, and, and I began to put, you know, stickers over them and band-aids, and like, like, you, you, like that's annoying, right? When it starts flashing, I mean, come on. Uh, after some time, uh, I remember going to the, the car, and I was like, well, you know, maybe I can get that light to stop if I just pour some water in the radiator. So I did. I watched some water drip out, and I'm like, that's not supposed to do that. So I thought, you know, I'll get there. I'll, I'll get to it sometime. I shut the hood, and I drove off a, uh, thinking, you know, I'll get there, uh, hopefully. And, uh, and then one day while I was driving to work, it pulled itself over without me telling it to, and it just decided to stop. And that was it. It, uh, it didn't work anymore. There was nothing I could do. I couldn't fix it now. Now it was just gone. And I wish I had listened to the warning signs. You ever go through something? You go through a moment where you realize, hey, oh man, I think God might have been warning me back here that I needed to deal with that. In life, physically, mentally, spiritually, there are these warning signs going off for you and I right now. Some of you are experiencing anxiety, some of you panic attacks, some of you are sweating when you're like, I shouldn't be sweating right now. You're going into a situation. Some of you have habits and things that are going on in your life and you know, you know, it's just a hang up. It just keeps coming back up. You keep putting it off. You're like, ah, man, sorry, God. You can't get rid of it. You can't shake it. Some of you are deep into something that just feels like you're, it's too far gone. You can't deal with it, so you're just going to let it go. The warning signs have gotten, you've gotten so used to it, you, you just put Band-Aids over it just so it'll stop annoying you. Those warning signs, are a reason, they're there for a reason, mentally, physically, and emotionally, spiritually. 
God designed us that way, set it up so that we wouldn't get to this point of not being able to walk through repair, recovery. We have an incredible ministry here on Tuesday nights. If you haven't been to check it out, Celebrate Recovery, which goes through uh, some of the tools and what you can do step by step. And really, that is the first thing I would, I would tell you. If you see these warning signs in your life, tell somebody. And Celebrate Recovery is here on Tuesday nights, and I would just love for you to check it out if you, if you recognize you have something going on. Because it's not those people that have these things going on. It's all of us. Miss is just life. Life happens. Stuff happens. We get a miss. And if we hide it, avoid it, put band-aids on it, guess what? It'll just come up again and again and again. And then more and more miss will follow the longer we leave it. I love that this picture of Nineveh gives us this image of what can happen in our life if we would just simply come to a place of acknowledgement and understanding uh, with our mess. And I think the beautiful picture I get and I'm reminded of, especially as I think about the mission vision here of our church, to initiate and nurture a growing relationship with Christ, it starts right here. Is regularly going to my knees and confessing, I am a mess. And I need God. I am lost without you, God. It puts me in my place. It's really the first step of walking into recovery. So I just want to go through some of the steps that they would share if we were, if we were at uh, Celebrate Recovery right now. Some of the steps that we would go through because it's actually what we all need right now to help ourselves walk through to repentance and recovery. And so I want to go through these together, if you would, with me. And the first step is just that. Romans 7, 18 shows us, For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. If there's something in your life that is driving, there's a desire there to do good, but you can't get there on your own. Hey, there's something going on that's deep that God wants to work on, and he can do it with you. You don't have to stay stuck. God has come to give you life, and you can have it. First, would you admit that you have a problem? Can you come to this place before God and say, God, I recognize I have a, I have a problem. If you can't get there, you might stay stuck. So go back and look at those warning signs. Jonah 3, 5. They listened and believed. They listened and believed. You might be listening and just not believing. You might believe that you're meant to stay stuck, that you're not worthy, that this was your lot. And I would say to you, lie, lie, lie. Look into God's word, look at the truth. He didn't give you that kind of life. Philippians 2.13, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill what? His good purpose. So don't believe the lies. Tip two is this, that you believe that a power greater than yourselves, ourselves, could restore us to sanity, to, to fullness of who God created us to be. You're going to limit God? I hope not. God designed you. He's got you here for a purpose. Amen? And step three, 
they turned. The Ninevites actually turned their lives. And if you've known Jesus, you've given your life to Christ, you know this, that it's all about a turning 180 degrees, 180 degrees and turn your whole life around. And we, what, when we say turning, it's turning over our will to him and saying, God, you are in control now. No longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. And I encourage you, if you haven't done this in a while, do this. As a regular part of your worship or discipleship with Christ, your journey with growing with God is spend time with God. Romans 12, 1, what does it say? Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. To offer my body, my whole self to God, turn it over to Him. When the message came to them, the Ninevites, what did they do? They turned. They didn't stay stuck. They heard it and they believed. Are you stuck believing? So I want to go there. I want to just go through this with us. What does it mean to turn? And just offer just a quick way for us to reference this and build this into our own spiritual walk, but also something that maybe you could grab and run with. If you run into somebody who has not turned their life over to Christ, this is a great thing to, to keep with you. Be like, hey, did you know that you can turn your life around? Here's how you can. And here's the first one. It's on your paper if you want to pull it out that you would have walked in and got, if you got one on there, the, the acronym there, TURN, T-U-R-N. Above that is this uh, line that says uh, warning signs. And I would encourage you to fill that in Maybe you do it now, maybe you do it later this week, but as God is calling you or tugging on your heart, hey, can I have that? Or there's some warning lights going on in your life. If you see anxiety being an issue, something that's uncontrollable, something that you know you don't have control of or you haven't handed over to God and he's saying, hey, can I have it? Could you write that down? And then look at this list and reference this as you look at those warning signs. It starts with trusting God. Could you trust God with that thing? See, many of us, the thing that's messed us up or the thing that's messy right now in our lives that we don't have control of, it's something we've turned to because it has fulfilled us instantly and, and we've basically said to God, hey, I'm trusting you and this. Because I want what I want and I need it now, but I'm also trusting you for later. But God wants our, our whole hearts, right? And this is why I love that the, the king stands up and says, I'm going to order a decree, stop eating. What is eating? Eating says, I'm going I'm to fulfill myself. I'm going to get what I want. I'm going to fulfill my need for hunger. And so he says, hey, stop eating. Stop everybody from eating because we need singular focus and we need to understand that we need to trust God for everything in our lives. So a regular practice in growing and relationship with Christ can be fasting and praying and just reminding our body, our mind, our spirit that he is giving us everything we need. And this is an awesome thing. As they turn, they go, you know what? We really need to know. We need to drill this into ourselves. So we're going to stop and we're going to fast. And fasting reemphasizes we trust you 
for everything. My question for you is, are you trusting God with everything right now? The next thing is understand. You've gone through something, you say, hey, Bryce, this wasn't my choice. This is something that came to me. Cool. Not cool. But God's got you. And here's why I didn't know this. Because God always got you. And if we would understand this, that's you. Understand that you only see part of the picture and God has the big picture. If I grow in my understanding, that means I go to his word and I get the word in me. My faith grows. And what is faith? Faith is understanding. It's not about me. God is in control. Somebody say that. God is in control. I only see part of the puzzle. That's why he can do these things and we go, wow. I didn't see that coming. He might say to us at that point, what? Well, yeah, I knew (laughs) that you'd be wow. I knew if I told you, you wouldn't get here. My question for us right now, and I'm I'm holding this today, and I'm wondering, like, what if chapter one Jonah showed up in Nineveh? Chapter one Jonah walks in, right? All this cultural stuff going on, and he's like, y'all, I got a message for you. What's up? Right? Non-broken Jonah walks in in the city, and they're like, Who are you? I think chapter one, Jonah gets his life taken. I think chapter one, Jonah walks into Nineveh at least like loses his shoes. You know what I'm saying? Like, dude, he's got sweet Crocs. Like, I want those. Chapter three, Jonah walks in and cuts through because I think the brokenness of Jonah, right? He didn't know the big picture, but he, even in his, even in his uh, waywardness, he runs from God, ends up exactly where God wants him. But now he has a heart of flesh, a malleable heart, not a heart of stone. And he walks in broken. And he walks in meek and he walks in humble. And he says, God, not my will, but your will be done. And he begins to share this message through the lens and people start receiving it. People start hearing the message of the gospel, right? The good news, as opposed to a cynical you know, Jew coming up here and telling us what he wants. They hear, oh, God loves us? What? Come on, think about it. understand. The next is R, repent. Turn away from the sin, the destructive hurts, habits, and hang-ups, and turn toward God. Repenting is recovery. Repenting is getting away from what is destructive and leads to death and leaning into and turning to what you know brings life and often annoying. You're saying, okay, this thing that is comfortable, I'm going to stop turning to it. This thing that makes me feel good now, I'm going to say, God, I know your thing is better. I know your way is right and good. Even though this is feeling good right now, I'm going to turn from that thing and I'm going to go to what I know you're calling me to, which is right. Come on. Some of us need to hear that today. Because repentance as an active thing in our growing relationship with Christ leads us to recovery. What is, I think when I think of recovery, I think of going from blind to seeing 
spiritually. God came to recover the sight of the blind, right? He came to bring that to you for you to see what is right and what is wrong. God is leading us from that place of death into life change. A new life. And that's the last thing is in. New. The Bible tells us that the old has gone and the new has come. There was a new season, a new thing happening in Nineveh. Praise God. A new thing, not an old thing, a new thing. It was changing everything. It was changing their diet. It was changing their life. It was changing their view of God, their view of eternity. New life is new. It's a new thing. It's not an old thing. It's not going back to autopilot. It's going into a renewal. It's going into finding new great things that don't just satisfy now, but satisfy for eternity. That's what you're trading in when you say, I want a new life in Christ. You're saying, yeah, I understand this was cool and this was good and it tasted great, but I understand even more now that God has a bigger picture, a bigger purpose for my life, and it's eternal. He wants me to discover Him in eternity and spend life with Him beyond now, not beyond here, beyond the pain. He's got something bigger and better for me. God, I see it. And I want to run into that new thing. It's not easy. Handing my life over to God is a constant and a first thing with God is not easy. And often you come from a place, you know, if you're, if you're thinking of Jonah, you know, his life and his place of turning wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. And it never, I don't believe that it ever is. But in my places of turning things over to God, I, I, I love going to chapter 5 in Matthew where Jesus preaches uh, from the mountain there and, and he preaches this amazing message. And he really speaks to all of us, I think, in our pit as we turn to him. And I, re- I read this over for myself because I identify so much with what he's saying in that here he is standing and saying, blessed is the meek. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Why? Because they will be comforted. They shall inherit the earth. They shall be satisfied. I'm going, God, I need your kind of satisfaction in my life. I'm, I'm tired of going this way. It doesn't meet my real need, and I get it. I'm tired. We were never meant to go with anything other than God. So right now, if you're tired with life, or you know someone who's tired with life, remind them they were never meant to run that way. We're meant to run with our trust and our focus on God alone to supply all we need, to be our one and only, for Him to fill our lives. And He said, you will run and not grow weary. Right? You'll walk and not get faint. Why? Because I came to give you life. Come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you, come on now, church, rest. If you're tired, I invite you this morning, I want you to stand up even though you're tired. I want you to stand 
and our action, the same way the Ninevites did something, I want you to stand. We're standing, if you're at home, stand with me, stand with us. As an act, we're going to worship God with our whole selves. We're going to worship Him in spirit and in truth. The lies that we could believe today is that nothing needs to change. But the truth is, we all got mess. And repentance is needed. And so this morning as we worship, we're going to ask God, God, in this moment, would you bring to mind those things that we have asked for? Lord God, if there's warning signs that have been going off that we've band-aid, God, we want to take off that band-aid. We want to look at that thing this morning. And we're asking, we're inviting your Holy Spirit to move us through a time right now of healing. As we turn it over to you, God, we're saying we trust you. We understand we don't have the big picture. God, we're saying sorry. And we're saying yes to the new life. Would you lead us into that today, Holy Spirit? We need you. We need you. If you're here this morning, you say, I don't know Jesus. I want to say to you this morning, it's as easy as this. He says, the Bible tells us, if you believe in your heart, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. And you can enter into a relationship today with him. And if you're here and you've never made that choice, you can just right now on your own believe if you do and put your faith and put your trust in him. And as we go through this worship time, maybe you want to repent of your old life and say, God, I want a new one. And if you do that here this morning, I'd love to pray with you after the service. But spend some time with God as we all do as a church. We confess our sins to you, God and ask you to have your way. Amen.